Let me just take a moment just to um, encourage you to open your Bibles to James chapter 2. And I just want to talk a minute about all the great things that God is doing. God is really moving among us. And speaking of giving, last Sunday you were so generous. Above the regular collection, you gave $21,269 toward agape and orphan care. Let's give a hand for what God is doing. And, um, you know, I just look around everywhere and there's a, there's a new spirit in our church. There's a, a revolution going on. Uh, you can see it in attendance. You can see it in great Bible classes and community being built there. You see it in this new 1045 service where we have room and new people are coming. We have lots of new members right now. We've had lots of baptisms just over the last few weeks. I see our church growing in racial diversity. You just see so many good things going on in our youth ministry, our children's ministry, our campus ministry. In fact, right now there's a big blank spot over here because 80 of our teenagers have gone on retreat this weekend, and they'll be getting back in just the next few moments. And so God is doing amazing things, and I don't know about you, but, but I feel it, and I'm so fired up about it. But I want to go to a, a practical principle that I believed a long time in my life that may help you. And Mike just help us in the church this morning. Here's the principle, the practical principle. When you hit a spiritual high, make firm commitments that will lead to real lasting change. Read that out loud with me, okay? When you hit a spiritual high, make firm commitments that will lead to real lasting change. We all know what it's like to hit a spiritual high that's just temporary. Maybe you went on that retreat and you came back all fired up and all excited, but two or three weeks later, you were the same person you were before. The only way to avoid that is when you're on that high, make some firm commitments about time you're going to spend in God's Word, time you're going to spend among God's people. Make some firm commitments. We understand that, don't we? We can get excited and nothing changes. I'll never forget Stephanie and I years ago going to a parenting seminar and we came back all fired up and we were going to make all these changes in our family and we were going to be better disciplinary and so we were, we were cracking down and the kids were scared. And I'll never forget overhearing my oldest daughter, Laura, look at her younger siblings and saying, hey guys, don't worry about it. I've seen this before. They've been to these seminars and nothing changes. It was so embarrassing. Why? Because... If you don't make firm commitments that you follow through with, it doesn't matter about the seminar. I was talking to a marathon runner this week. If you've gone and you finally ran that marathon and you're on the high from running that, you've made an achievement. If you don't go ahead and schedule the next marathon, the next time, your body might fall apart. You've got to take that high and turn it into firm commitment. And our challenge today as a church is to take this high that God has put us on And today you're going to have a chance to make two firm commitments, a commitment to serve and a commitment to give. And and let me me just say this on the outset. If you'll be willing to do this, God will grow your faith. That's the cool thing. You will become more full of faith than you've ever been. In fact, this morning, let's go to James 2, a great passage on what faith and works do together. Let's read this passage, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, 
and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, good for you. You've got faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Congratulations. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, I want to stop at that verse for just for a second. His faith and his actions were working together. Guys, in, in James' mind, these are not opposing forces. They're complementary. Oh, some translations say that your faith and your works are partners. Now, what are they doing? They are working together to complete your faith, to mature your faith, to perfect your faith. You see, here's what happens, is when you put your faith into action, your faith begins to grow. It's like the illustration he's using here. I mean, Abraham is asked to do, by God, the most absurd thing on the surface, to go and offer his son Isaac. And of course, that was crazy. But in the long run, when Abraham's willing to do what God says do, and God spares his son, Abraham's faith grows. Now, let's say there's some, some areas of your life where God is stretching you. And let's say someone's really done you wrong and you're growing bitter about that. And yet you read the Bible over and over and just, it bugs the stew out of you because God says you've got to even forgive your enemies. And nothing in you wants to forgive them. But finally you submit to God and say, I'll forgive them. Guess what happens? All of a sudden the resentment goes away. You're more full of joy. You don't have that knot in your stomach every time you see that person. And because you have stepped out on faith, your faith begins to grow. How about you're resentful about what I said just a few minutes ago about the importance of giving of your money. And you go, I don't want to hear a preacher say that. And you fight it, but finally you go, you know what? I can't open my Bible without seeing it. It's actually there. And you start giving. And God starts blessing you. And you begin to be free from materialism. And you begin to be a part of the work of God. That's what happens. Your faith begins to grow. That's what he's saying in verse 22. There's a partnership, not a fight between faith and works, but a partnership that matures and grows your faith. Well, let's keep reading. Then he gives us some more illustration. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave up lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let me give you four things very quickly about faith. I hope you're taking notes. Number one, Faith is more than talk. It's so easy just to talk about things. It's so easy to even sing these songs. It's so easy just to say the right thing. Oh, I believe in God. I love God. Isn't Jesus cool? Even Jesus himself said, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's got to be more than just talk. I love the Peanuts cartoon. One day Snoopy is outside and Snoopy is cold. It's winter and he's hungry. His food bowl and water bowl are empty. And Linus and Charlie Brown are looking out the window and they see Snoopy shivering. So they say to each other, we need to do something about this. And so they walk out the door together and they simply say to Snoopy, be of good cheer. And then they walk right back in. Now, let me ask you this. Where do you think Charles Schultz got the idea for that cartoon? From this chapter of someone who's saying the right things, but not following through with action. And that brings us to point number two. Faith is more than feelings. It's more than just, oh man, I feel so bad about you being hungry. Man, I hope you get better. Be warmed and be fed. No. Faith is more than feelings. Faith has got to be translated into action. This is one of the real temptations for us religious people because we love feelings. I do. I want to come to church and get on a high. I want to come to church and feel something. I'm disappointed if I don't. But the question is, do those feelings walk out of this door or are they temporary? I call this summer Bible class romance. Anybody ever been summer, summer Bible camp, excuse me. Anybody ever been to summer Bible camp? Raise your hand. Anybody ever fell in love at summer Bible camp? Okay. I see the smirks on your face already. Because you know how it goes. You go to camp and you meet her the first night. The second night, you hold her hand. And on the third night, you pick out the names of your future children. I mean, it just moves so quickly. And the last day, they have to rent you apart. It's so full of emotion. But most of you know, three weeks later, dude, you don't even remember her name. It's just so temporary. And sometimes, guys, we come and, boy, we want those emotions. We need those emotions. But if they're not translated into action, they're going to be completely temporary. And then number three, real faith is more than believing. I mean, he makes the most incredible point here. If it's just intellectual belief, if it's just knowing the facts, the demons and the devil are on the same level as you. In fact, I would tell you this morning that the devil knows more Bible than any one of us sitting here. And some of the cruelest dictators in the history of the world have known a lot of Bible. Probably the man in history who slaughtered more people than even Adolf Hitler was Joseph Stalin. And history records that Joseph Stalin had memorized the Gospel of John. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough to say, yeah, I know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. I believe he resurrected. All those kind of things. I, I know what the Bible says. I believe what the Bible says. I have people say that to me all the time. You know, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I should be doing this. I know what God says. I know what the Bible says. But they never change. And James says that is worthless. That is nothing. Because our, our fourth point here is real faith works. It works. James says, I want you to show me. James should have been from Missouri, right? The show me state. I want you to show me that this is real. Now, let's, let's back up and talk about this just for a moment. What's he saying? Guys, faith is a robust word. It, it's not just believing the facts or saying the right things or even singing the right things. 
It's trusting God wholeheartedly. One translation says about Abraham and Isaac, the New Living Translation. Abraham trusted God so much, he was willing to do what God told him to do. That's what we're talking about. Please understand this message today. I don't want you motivated into serving or giving by guilt today. That's not our idea here. Because if it's guilt, it's going to be temporary. I I don't want you even motivated today out of obligation. I don't think that's what James is teaching here. James is teaching that you could have a faith so robust that you could trust God so much that even when it doesn't make sense to you, you do it. And when you do it, your faith grows. And so if you forgave that person and God blessed you, if you gave and God blessed you, then the next time God tells you to do something, you're even more full of faith than eager to do it. It's about trusting God. And here's what God's done for us, guys. It's a beautiful thing. God says this, you get to work for me and I'll get to work in you, okay? Your faith and your work are working together to mature you. And that's what's so cool about the church, is that every Christian has been put in a community that's a working community, that literally in the Bible is called the body of Christ. Now, what's the implication of that? It's that we do what Jesus would do. Jesus lives in Montgomery, Alabama, because you and I are here together, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing the work of God. And let me just say something very bluntly here, because every generation struggles with this idea, is that I really love Jesus, but I don't love the church. But you really can't do that, because Jesus is the head and the church is the body. And so often we get frustrated with church, and so we give ourselves to all kinds of entities in our city. All kinds of great organizations, all kinds of nonprofits, all kinds of great, and I'm not opposed to that. I like to be involved with those two. Those are great things. But I want to firmly declare this morning that none of those should be the focus of your life like Jesus' church. And you say, well, why does the church stand out? Why should the church be so different? Why does it deserve my allegiance and my time and my money unlike anything else? Well, first of all, because the church does everything it does in Jesus' name. Not just a good social organization, not just a good club, it does it in Jesus' name. That's so different. Second, here's my belief. I believe the church is so important because the church is where God shows off diversity. You see, guess what? When I go join that club or that organization in town, normally, normally, let's just be honest, it looks like me. It's people like me. We gravitate together because we're in the same socioeconomic class or the same race or the same neighborhood. And we we just all sort of gravitate. And that's okay. But what makes the church so cool is that the church is young and old, black and white, rich and poor. And when all of those people come together to do something great, it says it's got to be God. And that's why I'm telling you, my friends, the church deserves your first allegiance. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added into you. It deserves that. And when we come together like that, amazing things happen. And today, you and I have that chance. We can not just sign up, but show up and serve, whether it's in all kinds of children's ministry all of our welcoming ministries, a simple ministry called telecare where you just call people and pray with them, 
a prison ministry, an inner city ministry. We're about to reform small groups. We need more and more small group leaders so we can have more groups. You could get involved in hospice care or cancer care or service or RSVP or Compassion 21 or missions or helping with the tech on Sunday morning. You're going to see a list so crazy long, it's going to excite you. And when we come together to do that, God is glorified. And we do this because you know what? We trust what God says about life more than what we think or we feel. And God says this ought to be top priority. So, this is so exciting. You say, okay, buddy, before you sort of shut down this thing, you got to help me out here because what you're saying today sounds contradictory to what Paul says in the 40 and 50s class right now. Rick Solar is leading us in a great study of the book of Galatians. And and, and you could read James. In fact, Martin Luther read James, and, and he read Galatians, and he said James really doesn't belong in the Bible. So is there a contradiction? I don't think so. It surfaced, it sort of looks that way. Because Paul teaches, Ephesians 2 verse 8, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, not by works, not by works, so that no one can boast. And James says faith without works is dead. So who's right? They both are. Here's the deal. They are addressing different problems, all right? Here's what. James, Paul is addressing earning your salvation. That you work so hard, you do so much, you have won the favor of God. My friends, you cannot win the favor of God. The only way you can be saved is by His amazing grace. He's addressing earning your salvation. James is simply addressing the evidence of your salvation. James is saying, it's not your works that are saving you, but do you want to know if you really have faith that saves? Do you want to know if you really have real faith? Well, does it ever show up in real action? That's all James is saying. They're dealing with two different problems. Paul is dealing with legalism, the idea that you can save yourself by keeping the law correctly, which none of us could do. And that was a big problem. James is dealing with the opposite problem. He's not dealing with legalism. James is dealing with laziness. James is the most practical book in the Bible. So as a church, let me be really honest, over the last years, we've spent a lot of time dealing with legalism because so many of us grew up in legalism where we never could be sure of our salvation. I love what one older gentleman told me a few years ago. He said, now that I understand grace for the first time in my life, I can enjoy church and enjoy my salvation because I know I got it. And we needed to deal with legalism. But let me be straightforward with you this morning. I think maybe it's time that we now need to deal with laziness. Because some of us have used, and Paul knew it could happen, he even addresses that, some of us have used our view of grace as an excuse to be what I call spiritual goof-offs. I don't really have to do anything. Well, you don't have to do anything, but when you have real trusting faith, you want to do what God says. And so it's a beautiful thing when we understand that both of these things play together. So what James is saying is, okay, guys, faith is the... Faith is the foundation. Here's the question. Do you have it? How can you find out if you have it? Are you working for God? I love this old question. It's so convicting. Maybe some of you have never heard this before, but it, it convicted me years ago. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a good question. 
Why? Because just saying it is not doing it. Just saying wow is not work. Just being motivated is not real movement for God. He wants it both. So today, we have a chance to give evidence for our faith. I want to invite someone to join me on stage, Leanne Jordan. And we're going to talk just a moment about this. Leanne's pretty new around here at Landmark. And uh, we have just come to love her so much. And this is just a great day because what I'm talking about today really frustrated the fire out of her when she came to Landmark. She didn't come to Landmark by choice. She came by marriage. Okay. She met and married what we call here at Landmark the real Michael Jordan. And um, so, you know, she uh, was sort of drug here. Why was that so hard, Leanne? Uh, good morning. Good morning. When I, uh, I grew up here in Montgomery um, from the time I was in the ninth grade. So I went to Alabama Christian Academy and graduated from there. I went to Delray to Church of Christ. Then um, I went to Harding. Then I came back and was at Vaughn Park for 20 years. So when I came here to Landmark, Vaughn Park had been my home, home congregation for 20 years, which um, made it very difficult because most people here, no one was rude or unkind, but I think most people just made the assumption, everybody knows Leanne. I'm kind of loud, just a little bit. And people just thought I was happy and fit and was connected. And the truth was for probably the first eight to 14 months, I was just drowning. I would go for weeks and not come um, to church at all because I was so frustrated. And I finally called my mother and said, and she said, suck it up. Um, she said, you've, you've been there. She said, you were at these other churches for 30 years of your life. You've been there for one year and it takes time to find your place and to get your rhythm and to, to connect with people and to form those bonds with other uh, adults there. And so, um, so what was the, what was the turning point after mom rebukes you? Um, I, <laughs> uh, the first place that I started to connect was through RSVP, which is the ABC group on Wednesday night for addicts and alcoholics and people in recovery. And so I'm Leanne, I'm an addict. A lot of y'all don't know that about me, but that was the first place that I really connected and found a home was in that small group. Um, and from there, I reached out. I came to Buddy and I said, please help me find a spot. And then I, and I came to Gail and I said, please help me find a spot. And I went to Wes and I went to, I just made myself obnoxious, which is not hard for me, but I just went around to everybody and said, please help Obviously me find a spot. Obviously, we didn't do a very good job. <laughs> so I, I finally um, connected when some things came, became available. They thought, oh, Leanne's looking for a place, um, but... The, the longer that I sat around that first year feeling sorry for myself and feeling like I just didn't have any friends and all of the women were connected and I was just lost and the, the worse it got. And I loved the connection that Buddy made between faith and works. The less that I did any work here to connect, the more my faith diminished and the smaller my faith became and the greater my depression and anxiety and my feelings of fear and hopelessness were. So tell us a couple more places where you've connected over the last year. 
Okay? Um, I love, love, love and feel very strongly about the RSVP group and people that need recovery from whatever they're struggling with. That's a great place. Um, I also am a very firm believer in women need Christian friends and men need Christian brothers. And so I reached out to some of the ladies and I've connected with some of them. And we have a lot of ladies ministry stuff that we're doing, um, which is great. And um, I decided, even though, and this was like a moment for me because at 44, my daughter's grown. She's married. She lives in another state. Um, I decided I'm done with children. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't want to keep them. They're not mine. I raised mine. Those are y'all's. Y'all need to handle your children's. Um, But I thought, I don't know anybody with children. I have no idea who any of the teenage parents are. So I started sitting in the baby room, some in the nursery, and I didn't necessarily meet the moms of those children, but I reconnected with the other women who were in the baby, in the nursery with the babies. Then I went to um, Al and Terry and said, okay, put me in a class. And so now I have the second graders, and I love, love, love the second graders. And I just told Terry recently, don't take me out. Just leave me in there. I'll just stay in the second grade class. Because now I walk up, and I see people, and I go, oh, you're Clint's parents, or you're Alex's parents, or you're Isla's parents. And it's a way for me to meet the people in their 20s and 30s that I would have otherwise never connected with on any level because I don't have any little ones anymore. And so that's been a huge blessing to me to get to be in there. And um, we wrote down prayer requests this morning, and y'all would be amazed what your children are wanting to pray for. So that's a, a blessing. And then on top of all this, we've tried to redo our welcoming greeting ministry. And uh, you could tell Leanne would be really good at that. And so she is now over that. She meets with our greeter teams and prays with everybody at the doors. You know, Leanne told me the other day, she told me she was an introvert. Would anybody like to laugh? I mean, I, I, I thought she's a liar, but I mean, it just, it just, it just can't be true. But um, thank you for not, because we, we didn't do a real good job, but you, you didn't give up. But if, if, one more question, Leanne. Um, if you were talking to someone new here or someone who maybe been here a while, but still doesn't feel plugged into this big church, what would you say to them? Don't despair. Don't despair. Keep trying. Keep pushing forward. And the main thing that I need you to know is that Satan uses isolation as a powerful, powerful tool. And when he sees that somebody is starting to disconnect, that is a great way for him to worm his way into your life and unplug you from your Christian brothers and friends. And for that year, I felt very unplugged because I was in a very happy marriage. I love where I work at Hope Inspired Ministries and the job that I have there. But I felt lost and broken and adrift because my church is my home. And if I can't connect with the people in my family at my home, then I'm, I, I isolate. And so um, keep pushing and keep trying to find a place because there are, there are holes and you are needed and you are loved. I know, I see when I look out so many people that I love and so many people that love me, and it was always that way, but I just allowed Satan to convince me otherwise. So don't give up. Grab somebody, grab one of us and say, find a place for me. Help me find a place. Thank you, Leanne. You preached good. That was really good. Okay, man, if y'all give the forms out. Have we given forms out yet? Uh, We want every person in here to have a form, and this will give you an opportunity to step out and stretch your faith and to actually do something. So the forms are going to be given out to everybody. Wes Corrington, come up and say a few words and lead you through the forms.
Well, what a beautiful sight. Thank you uh, for making that commitment. You know, a lot of times we come to this kind of point, we, we ask, well, you know, could God use me? I mean, I can look across the aisle and I see some strong brother or sister, and I understand God using them, but not me. And that's why I love so much about this passage from James, is the two illustrations he uses could not be more different. Th- those who had faith and works were Abraham and Rahab. Abraham's a male, Rahab's a female. Abraham's a Jew, Rahab's a Gentile. Abraham is the father of faith. Rahab is a what? Harlot. He's a hero, she's a harlot. That's crazy. But what God is saying is, whether your life has been a life of, of incredible faith or, or your life has, has been a, a wreck, but you've, you've come to God, I can use all of you. It's not that Abraham was perfect. We know Abraham lied quite a few times in his life. But here's this Rahab, this non-Jewish woman, who takes her first step of faith by hiding these spies. History says she became a Jew. And so today, I want to say to you is stretch yourself, no matter where your background is, and, and let God use you. And maybe today you need to do more than just turn in a form though we appreciate that, maybe today it's time for you to turn in your life. Maybe today's the day for you to be baptized. Maybe the day's the day for you to end up on this front row saying, you know what? Man, I used to be an Abraham, and man, I, I, I faded with time. I've got a story like Rahab, but I've not let God use it yet. I want to I give more than a form this morning. I want to give myself. If you'd like to do that, why don't you come right now while we all stand together and sing?